Welcome to The Transect, a show about archaeology in British Columbia and the issues and topics that interest us, and hopefully you. I'm Sean. My name's Cody. I'm Ian. And uh, this week of The Transect, uh, I want to get to know my co-hosts a little bit. I want to hear about your origin stories. Yeah, who wants to start? <laughs> um... Let's have uh, let's have you take it off the, the top there, oh, Sean. Oh man! All right. So like, <laughs> I came to archaeology uh, in a couple different forms, a couple different waves, I guess. One as a youth, I grew up in a really small town in northern Florida, a real small town of like five thousand people, and uh, there was two things that I spent my time sort of observing. One was sort of like a the racial attention in the town, and sort of trying to understand at a young age why people had such resentment for other people based on something so arbitrary as skin color. And the other time is pretty much walking in the woods with my dog and finding things like bifaces and pottery and stuff. So mm-hmm. having an understanding that there was sort of a deeper past in, in the area that I inhabited. The other end of that, too, is my dad used to take me down to the Natural History Museum in the University of Florida in Gainesville. So I'd always like spending a lot of time going through the rooms there and just looking at sort of the artifacts and uh, what do you call the dioramas and all that kind of stuff. Was your dad a uh, history buff? Uh, no, but he, he always kind of had interest in history in general, and um, he sort of cultivated that a bit with me by taking me there all the time because I had such an interest. Yeah, so like he would always kind of like play to that, and he always had an interest when I found things and stuff, and trying to understand as a kid as you do when you find things. And then the real change, I guess, was when I went to university, obviously. I kind of knew at a young age I wanted to do anthropology because of uh, sort of my upbringing and thinking about the issues I was witnessing as a kid and trying to understand that. And just sort of thinking about that and the social processes around that. So at university, second year, I think I asked my professor, uh, Suzanne de France, if there's any professor that needed help. Um, one was a new professor named Ken Sassman, um, and he uh, made room for me to sort of come by and volunteer. And I ended up volunteering in his lab like three days a week. And over time, he just was kind of surprised that somebody would show up for free and just kind of like sort Shelman and all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so he just... And in the end, he ended up taking me out in the field that summer to Stallings Island in Georgia. It's one of the earliest pottery sites in North America. And that's kind of where I sort of like got addicted and got hooked. The thing that's interesting about that is I kind of transitioned away from the southeast because my training's in the Polynesia, right? I'm a Polynesian South Pacific archaeologist that now works in British Columbia. So I like working in the southeast, but one of the things that was struggling for me was just sort of the lack of sort of indigenous um, people obviously because of the histo- traumatic history and what was going on through the early days of the buildup of the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. um, nation, mm-hmm. right? So that was that was something that bothered me, and it really came to the forefront when we recovered human remains, and uh, we had to sort of get you know NAGPRA was new in the early '90s, and we we're trying to find out well how we're going to deal with this, well who's going to come out and assess this, and I really didn't understand it because I was like 18 or 19 at the time, and trying to understand what was really going on. And, but that's what bothered me, the lack of sort of like uh, indigenous community that we couldn't really interact with all the, you know, you think about all the ethnographies you read in school and the interaction and sort of an alternative reality and trying to understand the deep past was frustrating for me. And that's kind of what transitioned me to the South Pacific because I always sort of liked reading about stuff in Polynesia, people in the islands and the communities and sort of working in that village level. Mm-hmm. And I eventually, eventually got an opportunity to do that by my friends Sharon and Pat, um, who were doing their PhDs, and I got to go along as a research assistant. And from there on, it's kind of where I changed after University of Florida and came here. Yeah. So, uh, what what brought you to the to the BC side of things from the Polynesian side of things? What brought me to BC? 
Oh, okay, from Polynesia? Uh, yeah, when I was finishing my PhD um, under uh, Dr. David V. Burley, uh, you, you may know the gentleman. <laughs> I, okay, I know Dave, yeah. Fuck. So uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to sort of like make ends meet, and I started teaching a little bit at Kwantlen, and I still do Kwantlen Polytechnic. But then I, uh, mm-hmm. it, I, there was an opportunity to work locally on the, uh, the lower mainland on the Fraser River on a large site, and my wife was the one that really encouraged me. She's like, you would love working with local communities. You should go do that. So I thought it was gonna be a smaller stint, just for you know six to eight weeks. End up turning into sort of like a full time job, but that's a sort of what transitioned me. I was finishing school, writing, and then I was working in the field every day, and that's sort of where I kind of stuck with it now. Hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that cool. <laughs> no, I like it's like it's so fascinating to me because uh, everybody comes to this from such a different place. Uh, f- for example, um, Ian, if you'll forgive me, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. Go here for it. Bring it next. Um, so I'm going to commit a cardinal sin here, uh, a cardinal archaeological sin, and uh, start talking about dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, would, yeah. You, you put your booze back in, in their boo bags. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I was a very, very young boy uh, when my aunt uh, took me to Jurassic Park uh, for the first time. <laughs> I think it was like four or five years old, just way too young to be... Wait, like, which which one? The yeah, very first yeah. one, uh, Jurassic Park, uh, the Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park. Okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah, my Aunt Sharon kind of was supposed to be babysitting me and took me to go see Jurassic Park to just kill two hours. For shame. Which, you know, to the, to the <laughs> real horror of my parents, this five-year-old has just now, you know, witnessed men being bitten in half and, and, all, and all that. And the toilet scene. And the toilet scene, the famous oh, toilet scene. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the the end result of this this like minor indiscretion on my aunt's part was that I became absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs as as a young kid as a lot of young boys do. Uh, dinosaurs are a pretty common thing, uh, but from that, um, you know, my parents never heard the end of it. It was constantly just I want to go to Drumheller. I want to go to the museums. I want to go see the the bits of the dinosaurs and stuff. And kind of through that, I. Uh, I started to get like a little bit of an idea that oh wait there's other stuff going on here other than dinosaurs like the history of humanity is is just out there for you to look at uh but then I became a teenager and I was a very very angsty teenager and for a very long time I was going to be in a popular emo band I was and that was going to be emo that was my next question yeah <laughs> that was going to be my thing for a long time and uh until basically until I went to university and I enrolled as an English major mm-hmm. and uh was trying to get my courses all set up but being me and being a procrastinator I waited too long and by the time it came time for me to enroll in everything uh the course I wanted to take in English was totally booked up and I was looking through the, the SFU website trying to figure out what else there would be that would allow me to, to sort this out. And the, the one of the options just – and also archaeology is alphabetically at the top of the list. Yeah. And so I just, <laughs> is that how we all got into yeah. it? I just – hey, archaeology, Dumb. click. Uh, so I, I enrolled and it was a class with, uh, with Ross Jameson. Uh, nice. It was Archaeology 100 with Dr. Ross Jameson. Wonderful course. And uh, great course, great guy. Uh, and – yeah, so I took that course and kind of just had this like wave of not just nostalgia, but just realizing that, oh, wait, this is a part of me that I had just not paid attention to for the last like eight years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just I fell right back into that whole kind of mindset and fell absolutely like head over heels in love with the discipline. Um, you know, the physical aspect of it, the, you know, the tangible touching of, you know, the past. Uh, I, I absolutely love all that stuff. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's sexy. It's, you know, it's very, uh, it's physical. Uh, but 
But that's what's great about it, right? You get that part where it's like physical, but you also get sort of the mental side of it too, the, the thinking and the writing that you talk about with your English, Everybody right? that I've met yeah. loves It's like a pairing of those two, like exactly. very intellectual, very physical. You can dig a hole and then you can think about it the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, since then it's been archaeology nonstop for me. And uh, yeah, that's... I, I'm now I'm making a podcast about archaeology, so <laughs> that's where we that's where we are now. What about sound engineer Ian? Ian? Oh, my origin story in archaeology. Well, it's not as like grandiose and not as like meaningful as your stories. Like my trajectory was <laughs> me as I remember I would go in the woods behind my house and I found this pit of like smashed bottles, and I would, get, <laughs> I would, I would go down there. And there was a bunch of bottles uh, yet, bottle yeah. yet yeah. unsmashed. Is that, that Pittsburgh? No, this is a this is outside of Philadelphia. Okay. Another you know small East Coast town. Yeah. What else are you gonna do? Smash bottles. Yeah. So I would go down there and I would smash bottles, and then I got to thinking like, why is there this giant pit of smashed bottles here? And I started thinking about like material culture, like who who is this person who comes out to the middle of the woods? There's no right. access, <laughs> and they just smash a bunch of bottles. And I just became fascinated about like this this trace remnant of some unique event in the past that like no one else knows about it's like me and this guy are connecting on a level that that is inaccessible to everyone else it's like nobody's paying attention to this bottle smashing pit but you are yeah but i'm i'm accessing that and actually after that I, I lost track of it. My, my interest in material culture on the ground was like, I, I'm really interested in like garbage and cracks and sidewalks and things like that. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got into, <laughs> I got into historical archaeology. Right. And I, I still get, I get crap about this all the time for like the archaeology of re- the recent past. But I, I like, I like the, the application of archaeological methods to like our everyday life. Just like material culture that people don't look at. Like, I find myself looking at the garbage, like, in the corners and, like, all of these, like, the weird traces of our strange behavior in the world, like the bottle smashing pit. And it's, like, I, oh, it just interests me because it's stuff that, like, people don't normally think about. And it's this alternative perspective on the world. And, like, I start taking courses in it, and it's, like, yes. This is, like, it was so fresh to me. And it was, like, such a such a change from like how i was viewing the world before that it was like addictive and why is that you know you think about you think about that event or you try to think about the phenomena around that something so simple as some person out there smashing bottles <laughs> what, what is it about that that's so compelling that draws you to think about that because it was so hard for me to understand like it's archaeology is such a puzzle because we have such limited data it's like these are just smashed bottles but there's like huge there's like a complex person behind that and we don't know anything about them except for the fact that they smashed bottles. And I was just, like, absolutely fascinated with it. I was like, just because it's so difficult, and you, it's like the challenge there is, like, yeah, it's addictive. And I think that ties back to Cody when you think about it, because it's, it's the story that compels me. It's, finding stuff is great. It's cool. Like, we can all find stuff. I mean, you throw something on the screen, you'll find it. But it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the story behind that, that human element, that aspect of sort of how it got there, what was going on, what positioned it there, what placed it there, what were people using this landscape like, how were they feeling, what were their interactions, what was, what was their world like, what was their yeah. reality like? And you could never know it all, and you could, but you can, like, just the act of piecing that together and try to, like, to connect with, like, who was the human behind that 
and what were they dealing with and like what were what were their day-to-day lives like maybe and he's just, just pissed off and i was like he's drinking horse. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what i was doing i knew why i was smashing bottles there. <laughs> there's, there's this there's this paper about uh i can't remember who wrote it but it's it's about this bathtub you guys know the bathtub one no where there's no, this there's no, this bathtub on. in this greek square somewhere and the uh, the whole idea is that there's you know there's this there's this uh, narrative that's established that I think it was Pythagoras or somebody who just like no 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 uh, Archimedes never, yeah who no because yeah, he's the one who was like the the Filling depth the volume bathtub. and stuff this guy just was no this was that's Lucretius. he was like the oh god this is gonna be like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't a mathematician he was a he was a cynic uh, and I think he was like maybe the guy who came up with like cynicism but anyways he pulled this bathtub out into the square and he said. You know what? Screw it all. None of it matters. I'm just gonna sit in this goddamn bathtub till I die. And uh, oh, then I know this guy. Yeah, and then he uh, he wore a barrel and just got drunk all day. <laughs> 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 I know the name. Of this guy. He's like selling watches out from under a trench coat. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. Uh, but anyways, yeah, and he's uh, the only reason why we know that that bathtub is in that square is because we know that this guy dragged it out there to like sit in. But if you're like an archaeologist and you're not equipped with that narrative, like, okay, this is going to be a tough one to explain. Yeah, there's a lot out there that's, that's totally inexplicable. And you, you think about your day-to-day actions and you're like, how would someone interpret this? And it's impossible. But yeah. there, are, there are things, there are like regularities and there. Like there are ways to get at it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's difficult and I like that. Yeah. Is, do you... When you when you think about yourself and you think about yourself as an archaeologist, I mean, how do you do you wake up each day like you know pumped that that's what you do, or do you have things on your mind? Or do you do you feel that it gives you a different sort of perspective on the world, the way you evaluate things and look at things? Because I always think of myself as an anthropologist first that does archaeology, so that sort of mm. like informs my, sort of my perspective on the world and interactions and my own biases and flaws. Right? I just wonder, like, do you, do you think differently in a sort of way just because of that sort of experience and, and training? Um, for me, w- one of the things I struggle with every day is not just treating it just like a regular old office job mm-hmm. because, you know, you're writing a lot of reports. Sometimes it gets very formulaic. And before you know it, you might as well just be, you know, an accountant somewhere. And uh, it's sometimes you get in a loop like that. And I can guarantee for me that the thing that will snap me out of that is a quick, a quick step into the field with uh with some real human beings who you know we're, we're dealing with maybe their ancestors or or you know mm. their material culture and and that that always is like oh wait a second you're not just a guy punching numbers this what you're doing might matter to a group of people yeah mm. and i think that's the thing we're gonna we're gonna come to a lot throughout these podcasts and come back to sort of ownership and sort of indigenous communities and, and sort of heritage there but I agree. I think some, I think Ian and I were just talking about this the other day. Sort of, you can get sort of lost in that world, like you're saying, Cody, and just sort of like not really thinking about the ultimate goals here or the ultimate outcomes of what you're writing and what you're producing, especially because you're kind of removed sometimes from the communities. You're not like co-producing it in some cases. Sometimes you are if you get to work on those kind of projects, and sometimes you're not. So that can really sort of like get you down in the dump if you don't have sort of a perspective. And I agree. I think going into the field – and being alive and seeing things and hearing stories and hearing about places is really important to sort of ground you and sort of refocus of sort of what you're doing. Yeah, and it's like when you're out there alone, if it's just you interpreting something, you, you've got nothing to go on. But the story becomes so much richer and more meaningful when you're with uh, ancestral groups, like when you're mm-hmm. when you're 
listening to stories about the place, and when you can when you can fill out that narrative, it becomes it becomes very important. And yeah, you feel that when you're in the field, and it kind of reaffirms it every time you go back out and you're dealing with people who are invested in the place and who are talking about their ancestors and you're you have these physical objects in your hand it just makes that connection very immediate yeah i think it's something we probably should, you know at least talk about i mean we all work in consulting archaeology right now but we have mm-hmm. experiences in different areas i kind of want to hear sort of more about sort of like your personal experiences with maybe sort of your research or maybe your field schools or things that sort of expose you sort of how you sort of think about what you do as a practice that maybe how you apply that sort of in this kind of world that we inhabit um for me it's uh yeah uh, the academic part for me was was a lot of fun when it was fun and a lot of not fun when it was not fun <laughs> uh you know it's it's everybody everybody knows that it's a bit of a struggle i i by no means was the hardest working person in my cohort i no. i uh i, I loved what us. i what i did but uh <laughs> yeah it was just uh for me it was just this I don't know, the, the process of it, like the result of the research wasn't what I was really specifically interested in. It was more just like the continuing participation in the process of archaeology. Mm-hmm. Um, like the paper would co- like ideally come out and it would be good and it would say a thing and it would maybe prove a thing or help someone to do something in the future. But like the reason why I was like paying the tuition and, and showing up for lectures and seminars was to participate in, in like the community of archaeology uh, and that, and that whole side of it was really really important as well. The one thing that I will say about academia of versus consulting is the, the social uh, aspect of it is a lot more important uh, in terms of like your peer group or your cohort or like the supervisors or the department as a whole. You're interacting with a ton of people with a very diverse set of interests, and just participating in that regularly is is really rewarding. But I mean. And not, I, mean, I do not mean this in a disparaging way at all, but eventually, like, there are bills to pay. And <laughs> the reality of academia is that I cannot pay my bills doing the thing I love in academia. Um, some people can. Some people, you know, get there. Some people make it. Uh, but for me, I just, I don't know if I had the thing that was going to set me out aside, that was going to get me the grant funding, that was going to get me the positions that I needed to get. Whereas I had you know, a couple of friends who were starting a consulting business straight up off the ground. And in my head, I was like, you know, this is going to be a good way to get money. But what I've realized since then is like hopping in with the the kind of group of people that I got involved with, uh, I've been actually probably, I've been able to do more, you know, socially conscious archaeology as a consultant than I ever did as an academic. Yeah. I like, it feels more connected to like people when I'm doing consulting archaeology. Like I'm, like I'm, interrogating the past for a purpose whereas in academia i felt like i was talking to an echo chamber almost mm-hmm. um i was talking to my academic peers uh but like doing consulting archaeology it's like it's i feel like people are interested in the work that i'm doing and that was like that was hugely valuable coming out of coming out of grad school yeah. and actually applying what i know and people being interested in it yeah see that's funny because i like I'm of two minds. One is that I I kind of knew the, the the research design when I was doing my PhD was was more academically tailored, obviously, and that was the audience. But it was the work in the field, working and living in the communities, you know, learning Tongan or learning Fijian and being there in the villages that kind of really opened my mind up and really made me think about sort of these collaborative practices or sort of the stuff like Randall McGuire talks about, 
these ideas, sort of this practice, a praxis, and sort of this activist archaeology. And a lot of that I learned when I was younger by leaving the Southeast, kind of come full circle, and going to the Pacific and being exposed. I feel like that was really my birth, where I really became an anthropologist, is working in the Lao group of Fiji, and then eventually, you know, Tonga. And that's sort of the things that stick with me the most and that are sort of resonate. So living in the village, showing kids coming by after school, digging with me, having them be proactive and participating and talking about it and hearing elder stories and then showing them the profiles and where things are coming out and explaining sort of the archaeological side. And it was that value, sort of that sort of that relationship there and the feel that was sort of cultivated. And I still have feelings for those places and I feel like I, there's more I need to do there for the communities. But I try to take that mindset here to BC because it's just there's so much going on socially and culturally and politically that we just really need to be cognizant of that. And I find like, yeah, academia maybe sometimes, you know, you're trying to do it for your own social status and you know, you have to sort of drive these things and meet these needs so you can be an upstanding academic get tenure and, and you know, there's there's both good and bad about, you know, being in the private sector and being in academia. Mm-hmm. But I guess with my initial question I was trying to like trying to pull from you guys like what do you think you learned that maybe sort of this sort of tangent tangential sort of this intangible stuff that you really sort of informed your sort of ethos or outlook to sort of help you practice archaeology in a way like you're talking about you both of you have mentioned that's more relevant maybe to the communities or more meaningful for yourselves as well i had to say in academia alike it was alan al mcmillan and denny st Clair's project out in barkley sound which was like that was that was academic work, work, which was hugely meaningful for the communities in which they worked. Like a forty-year project, long-term investment with community elders, and like an ethnography that was super detailed, and and just working in that project was extremely valuable. And like I did at that time, like I felt like I was I was impacting people's lives by doing it. And yeah, I, just being able to continue those long-term those long-term projects is what I want to do in consulting archaeology as well. Um, yeah, for, for me, I, I had uh, the, the unique uh, privilege of taking a specific course at Simon Fraser University uh, called Archaeological Theory before I ever set foot in the field. And, you know, I'd, I'd been kind of one of the yahoos who get into it because it's, like, exciting and fun. And mm-hmm. it, it is exciting and fun. Uh, but I, I really had not, you know, considered what it actually was I was getting into other than like learning, like digging stuff up and learning stuff. Uh, but I took this, this archaeological theory course with, uh, you know, the, the prominent archaeological theorist, uh, George Nicholas and, uh, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Nicholas, yeah, uh, him. who I know is listening to this. I know you're <laughs> listening to this, George. <laughs> you're out there, George. We know it. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that really informed kind of. Just it, it equipped me with the tools to to think about you know what I was doing responsibly, and you know not be such just a Yahoo out there with a shovel. But there's there's that aspect of it, and then you know th- there's that meeting of you know of you and the people that you're working with because in BC consulting especially it's since I've been in the field it's it's kind of unheard of to not have you know a member of the community out with you. I'm pretty recent to it, so I know that other people will remember a time when that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for me showing up with those people there and just kind of like oh here is somebody who yeah is you know holding me accountable and 
and is also interested that like I maybe I have a thing to offer them in terms of like you know my weird yeah. understanding of how shell decays, which yeah. is like <laughs> it's like a it's yeah. a tool for communities to use. It's like a, you have a certain like weird understanding of material culture, and it's and you can use it to illustrate a story better. And I like I, I see myself as yeah being able to interpret this yeah your shell maybe I'm like nails and cans, and using yeah. it to to help. To help bring a story to light. Yeah, and I think it's just it's just another it's just another narrative, another perspective. I don't I don't really sort of like weigh archaeological knowledge as outweighing sort of the indigenous oral traditions or stories too. Mm-hmm. And I think I think you guys are both kind of right. It's kind of interesting. I think there's a moment where you come into the field and you sort of sort of really critically evaluate. You're really self reflexive about what you're doing, and that happens at different periods of your time. And yeah. you really think about why you're doing this or what you're doing it for. But I kind of think I'm honest. To be honest, I think there's a lot of people that don't have those experiences either. I think that you know they see this day in, day out. They're there to find things. They're here just to dig stuff up, get it done. Uh, especially mm-hmm. sort of in the private sector, you can see doing it for proponents and stuff. And I see that side of it too. So that's what worries me. And I think there's just such an an imbalance there. And I think you're right. Talking about George, George is one that was sort of always there to sort of talk to and guide you to think about those issues and sort of like give you sort of like at least. And anchor that, okay, you know, maybe I can think this way. Maybe I can go this way and push it that way. I've, I've got to come totally clean, though. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I've lived a blessed, you know, I, I've experienced a set of experiences uh, when it comes to my experience in archaeology. And that I went to a great school uh, that was, you know, really, you know, conscious of a lot of the issues that archaeology has. And, you know, its use as a science as well as its use as, you know, a, a tool for, you know, social... Uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, so social responsibility, yeah. but, uh, as well as that, um, then I got hired into a very small consulting firm that was just a kind of like when I got hired as a very fledgling kind of set of people. I think it was, it was just the five of us, uh, me and, uh, and four, uh, kind of coworkers when we got the, the thing started up, but always like since the inception of the company that I work for, uh, it's always been about relationships uh, with communities and, you know, doing right by everybody, uh, making sure that nobody feels as though that they've, they've been overlooked uh, in the process and, yeah, just carrying, carrying out the physical side of the archaeology to a standard that makes, you know, both the proponent and the community happy when we can make them both happy. Yeah, I mean, that's difficult to do, but I, and I, Ian and I... We, uh... I think what we were talking about earlier is true. We do feel like there's a different angle because we work with the community. And I come from also experiences working in the corporate world too, which is vastly, vastly different. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's, it's refreshing to sort of like apply sort of your more personal ethos or ideas about archaeology as a practice in a way that you, you feel your tools and your skills are being utilized. And also the communities. You know, appreciate. They appreciate the dialogue. They appreciate the discourse. They de- they appreciate the quality. They appreciate the care. They appreciate that you could concern about doing it right. So yeah, that's not always the case. I don't want to ever just make a report and it just gets filed on a shelf and never gets read because there's a lot of those out there. I've honestly probably written a couple of those. Everyone probably has, to be honest. But I want at least one person to read it and and connect and like get that feeling that like what I get when I'm out in the field, like connecting with somebody. I just want to like. Yeah, just a, yeah. That's think, the dream. Yeah, I think there's a lot to explore here. I think we're just scratching the surface of what's <laughs> going to be coming up this season. Yeah. yeah. So that's actually the next thing I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, what do you? 
we, we're just starting this thing. This is a this is a brand new kind of podcast. This is just you know a couple of guys sitting around talking talking archaeology on a pod, and uh, <laughs> just podding it, just podding, just making pod. And uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I hope this this uh, podcast can go some interesting places. Um, what are you guys? What are your hopes and dreams for the future of the transect? You want me to go first on that? Yeah, you you go ahead and field that one. I, I want it to be a place where, uh, obviously, I think we're going to have some conversations with experts and people in the field that really can dive into issues that are going to be, you know, uncomfortable or, or murky or interesting and sort of feel our way through what we do here in British Columbia. It's a unique place. It's culturally amazing. There's a lot that's going on politically, as I mentioned earlier, and socially and culturally that what we do actually has an effect, and I think we sort of need to be conscious of that. So I'm looking forward to meeting guests, having interesting conversations, and sort of just wrestling with the issues that we probably think about when we're in the field and day-to-day. That's what really excites me because we love what we do. We like it, but we also know it can be a tool, I think, for justice, mm-hmm. you know, for environmental, social, cultural justice in lots of ways. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'm excited about, and it's like it's just really getting into the real nitty-gritty details of can manufacture. <laughs> that sounds, sounds, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking like an eight-episode arc, yeah. um, just yeah. about like we're talking how many laps between the seams, and we're going to really just yeah. get there. I just flooded my basement. <laughs> <laughs> Take you on a journey of canned yeah. goods. <laughs> can me, daddy. Yeah. No, that's a weird thing to say. Yeah, why would you say can? <laughs> when you're making pods, pods sometimes just, just comes out. yeah, it just happens. I think we need more eight episode arcs. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get we'll get into those individual those NISP numbers those individual <laughs> specimens. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah, that's a ten episode arc. I think. Yeah. Um, what yeah. about you, Cody? Personally, for yeah. me, I I love hearing people talk about archaeology. I. I like archaeology, but one of the things I like most is how much everyone else loves archaeology. Um, but yeah, that's what I want out of it. I want to. I want to learn some things. I want to get to know some things. Um, yeah, and I want to find out what people have to say about the thing that I love the most. Mm-hmm. This week's uh, episode of the Transect has been brought to you by literally nobody because <laughs> we make it ourselves as an act of love. Uh, but if you want, you can follow us. Uh, just check out uh, allbudsnoduds.com and uh, the transect link on there will guide you to you know your destination for our Twitter account, our email address, and uh, you know any way that you need to get in contact with us. All right, everyone, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week on the transect. Uh-huh.